Okay, so the word Advent, it means coming or uh, arrival. And so we celebrate Advent over the four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas each uh, year. And it's not only the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus, but also his return. And so it's this opportunity for us uh, to focus our thoughts on the ultimate gift, the gift of Jesus. And peace is a central theme of this Advent season. We talked about a promise. We talked about uh, the plan uh, last week. Uh, and, and we're talking today uh, about peace and how peace moves us uh, to joy. It, it's so interesting. We, we love talking about peace. We love posting about it, uh, dreaming about it. Uh, we create plans in anticipation of it. But it is so hard to find, isn't it? I mean, despite it being universally loved, right? Like uh, everybody, I, I pray for peace. I hope for peace. I desire for peace uh, to happen in that conflict, whether it's around the world uh, or uh, next door. It seems though to uh, elude us regardless of where we're at. We could live in the best uh, neighborhood ever and it's absent. We can, we can uh, have uh, the, the best profession. We could be making the most amount of money and, and we could be incredibly wealthy and, let, and yet we don't have it. Even when we've arrived, whatever that means for you. That moment of arrival, we build it up in our minds. Uh, if, I just, if, if I just get there, if, if this just happens, then I will have it and yet peace is still something we are searching for. One of the prophecies about Jesus calls him the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So seven centuries before the Messiah's birth, Isaiah the prophet says these words. He's addressing the Israelites who were about to be exiled uh, for their uh, rebellion and their idolatry. And he pointed them to a future time when a solution, this undeserved uh, remedy would descend from God uh, himself. And he even kind of hints at this remedy being God himself, doesn't he? What does he say? He says, this promised child will be called mighty God. And it's a gift that's tied to the very thing that everybody was trying to get, and yet it continued to elude them. The promised child would be called the Prince of Peace. And then it continues, right? For, for his people, there will be no 
end to the increase of his government and of peace. Do you hear that? Like the peace he's going to bring is going to be without an end. There is no expiration date attached to it. Uh, there are no exceptions tagged along with it. This is the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring. Uh, that's why the angels in Luke chapter 2, uh, as, they're, uh, as they're literally like delivering the news to these shepherds, and these shepherds are just in shock, and, and the angels are delivering news, and then all of a sudden they start declaring out, it says in Luke 2.14, they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. And throughout the Bible, you see this term used in a variety of ways. And in fact, it was a greeting. It was a farewell for people. But it had such a richer meaning as well attached to it. It was so much more than just a lack of conflict. Um, and we see uh, it being defined as, as, as completeness, uh, this perfect peace, this, uh, this wholeness. It was so much more than just one area, especially uh, when it was used in relation to shalom with God. It was this inner state uh, that, that, that people had that came from trusting in him, relying on him, and following him. But we also see in the Old Testament how it talks about Israel having peace with God through a covenant. And we see that that peace is conditional, isn't it? In the books that describe the founding of Israel and its history, we see how Israel's people make this covenant with God where he provides peace and protection as long as they don't turn away. And when the nation strays away from following him, we read how he withdraws his shalom from them. And so by the time that Jesus uh, appeared on the scene, Israel had been ruled by other empires for centuries. And so this shalom, this peace with God, it had been absent for a while. And then on a broader level, all of humanity had lost peace with God when sin entered the world because that brought us into this opposition uh, against God as a result of that. And, and, and so there was this conflict between humanity and God and this lack of peace that was present presented this dilemma that the Messiah came to fix. See, the, the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus uh, being birthed into uh, humanity, this was both uh, the, the, the dawning uh, of peace. Uh, it, it brought this incredible peace, but it also was this declaration of war against sin and death, wasn't it? It was absolutely incredible. Because uh, the baby, uh, this baby Jesus, he grew up and he obeyed his father to the point of death on a cross, hanging there. I mean, uh, Jesus is hanging there on this cross, this instrument of death where the Romans had perfected how to torture you and keep you as alive as long as possible before you died. And it was very public. Uh, it was in front of people. Uh, it, so it was large, this cross, so that people would, would walk by and, and, and see it and, and they would know, don't you dare mess with Rome. And it's on that very cross, that instrument of death, that Jesus willingly gave up his life out of obedience to the Father to win peace 
for humanity. To bring humanity into peace with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, and and this should be underlined uh, in your Bible, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Isn't that incredible? The peace that, that was won on the cross. We don't look at it that way oftentimes, but, but there is a peace. Uh, there, we, we were in conflict with a perfect and holy God. Jesus comes and, and, and at his arrival, they're declaring peace is here. It's arrived and Jesus for the very mission of not only delivering peace, but defeating sin and death. He on the cross bridges humanity back into, uh, this relationship with peace. And not only does he establish peace through that, but he preaches it over and over again. You guys, here's the thing. No other religion teaches anything like this. Each one insists in some form or another that you must achieve the peace of God, which is also why it never happens. And how could it? As a sinner, you're the problem. Not the solution. Everyone say, I'm the problem. Yeah, look at you. Look at you. Yeah. I was going to have you say, everybody say, you're the problem. But then I realized you'd all be saying that to me. And maybe you feel that way. But it feels good, honestly, to say that. Right? I was at my computer and I actually said it. I was like, I, I am the problem. You know? And, and it just felt good because everything I read, everything that, that I see, everything that I feel like culture is leading me into is, Steve, you can solve your problems. Steve, you can be the solution. And, 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 and yet at his very core, it's, no, I'm the one who needed to be fixed. See, in Christianity, what separates Christianity is how you can actually receive and enjoy the peace of God through trusting and following in the finished work of Jesus. So that's why Romans 5, 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? That's what, that's what it says. So uh, if you want to experience the peace of God, you have to know the God of peace. And if you want to know the God of peace, you have to embrace his son. See, real peace is not found in, in this successful job, right? It's, it's not found in, 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 in landing that right job. It's not, it's not found, uh, peace is not in you purchasing the right house. Okay, uh, when, when we were house shopping, uh, I guess a little over four years ago now, uh, and, and we were looking at different homes, it's amazing how when you're looking at homes, you like build out this whole story with each house as you're walking through it, don't you? You're like walking through it and you're like, oh, this is where we're going to do this. And oh, this is, this is where we're going to bake together. This is where uh, we're all going to huddle in a big circle and we're going to sing praise songs together. 
And then it's going to be incredible, right? And, 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 and then, oh, this is the backyard. Oh my goodness. And this is where the kids are just going to do this. And they're going to get along. They're never going to fight out here. And, and right, we're like, and, and we just build out this whole story uh, with this house. And ultimately, ultimately, it's we're building up. I will have the peace that I'm looking for with this house purchase. And we, and we do the same thing, right? In, in, in our families, if this just happens in my family, with my kids, with my parents, in my marriage, I'll have peace. Man, if, if, if I just do this exercise routine, I'm, I'm going to feel at peace. If I, uh, if, if, if I just travel, I mean, man, that looked like a great spot where they went. I'll bet you they feel at peace now because they traveled. Like that would give, that would help me. Uh, and, and, and we even get to the point where, uh, man, if, if, if I just have a vibrant ministry, like for the Lord, then I will have peace. You guys, those things can give you these short, quick hits, these boosts of this cheap peace. But real peace, lasting peace, is only found in the prince of it. It's through his work of reconciliation on the cross that brought and bought our peace with God. And that's why in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he says this, not as the world gives, do I give you. If you can look at anything and go, oh, that will give me this peace or I'll have peace like that or I'm feeling at peace because of it. Jesus is like, nope, it's nothing like that. He says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So biblical peace is directly connected to righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is rightness with God. Okay, and, and, and so my, my proximity to God, my relationship with God is going to define and dictate uh, the, the peace that I experience because when I'm following the Lord, when I am uh, being obedient and walking with him, the Holy Spirit who is inside of me is producing peace. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read about the fruits of the Spirit. And these are, these are, um, these are defining character qualities that only the Spirit of God can produce in you. You can't do that on your own. So when it says peace, we cheapen it and we go, oh, it's this kind of peace. No, this is a kind of peace you can't produce for yourself, for your family, for your circumstances. This is something that only God can do. And so whenever I have a lack of peace in my life, it is always revealing that there is a disconnect within my spiritual connection to Jesus. And honestly, it's very uncomfortably revealing for me. It really is. Because it's hit me at different times. And, and, it, and it's revealed itself in ways that honestly were just kind of shocking to me. I'll, I'll never forget, I was, um, I was going to the grocery store and as I'm walking into this grocery store when I was down in San Diego, this is probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. I was going into Vons, the Safeway for you. And so I'm walking in, I got a phone call, and I get this phone call, and, uh, and I, I just remember, the, it was one of those phone calls where you're just like, you're just furious. You're upset, 
something didn't work out. It should have worked out. It was supposed to work out. It didn't. Someone dropped the ball. And, 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 and I remember I was just angry. And now I'm walking the aisles at Vaughn's and I've totally forgotten why I went there. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and you're like, why am I here? That's, I, I just totally forgot why I was even at the grocery store and I'm just walking the aisles and I'm processing how angry I am and I'm getting more angry. And as I'm getting more angry, then all of a sudden I have this mindset of, you know what? I am done with this. I am not going to be a pastor anymore. This is, I am, I'm sick of this, I'm sick of that situation. I don't want to deal with it more. I am done. And, and, and I was just so mad and, and, and I just kept spiraling, right? And then, and then before you know it, there I am. And, and, and now I'm talking, I'm thinking about my marriage. I'm like, you know what? My marriage isn't great right now. And, and, and it's just snowballing. All of these things are snowballing into this, uh, anger, this discontentment, this, uh, uh life is not working out and all of that. And, and so I called my brother up from the grocery store and he's like, what's up? And I'm like, I'm just in Vons and, and I'm mad. And, and I'm walking around and, and we're talking it through and all those things. And ultimately what it revealed in me that was so discouraging was it showed me that my sense of peace and joy was completely attached to outcomes that would happen through my ministry. And, 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 and what was so dangerous about it is what, what is ministry, you guys? Ministry is like God working, isn't it? And so what was so uh, manipulative about it uh, is the reality that I was taking something that was good, some would even say it was a God thing, and I had elevated it to where now that and, and the outcomes that it generated were now the source of my peace. And when that was rattled, it rattled everything else in my life. And you guys, whatever is your source of peace, you need to know that it is all encompassing. It will bring everything else into your life and center it around it. And, and, and that's where I was at. And, and that's why you guys, when you don't have peace, it's very, very alarming. Because it means there is something spiritually wrong in my life. So we have to ask, in what created thing has your heart been seeking peace in? See, the gospel of grace, it frees you from that exhausting pursuit. Because it really is endless, isn't it? And so we have to ask, how do I need to reorder and redirect my allegiance to the Prince of Peace? And when we can get to that place, you guys, uh, where, where he is our peace and it's resting in him and his finished work, that peace moves you to joy. Look at Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 10 and 11. It, it, it's in that same situation. The angels are there to the shepherds announcing the birth of Jesus and they say in verse 10, and it says, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, when it says joy here, this is a biblical joy. This is not this fleeting uh, joy uh, because often when we hear the word joy, we think of happiness. But there's a huge difference between uh, the joy promised in the Christmas story, the arrival of Jesus, and our view of happiness. See, happiness is a good thing, isn't it? 
yeah, five of you want to be happy. Um, I mean, I do. Uh, we're, we're always looking for it. We're looking for it in relationships. We're looking for it in circumstances. We're looking for it in careers. Uh, all these things. We're looking for uh, happiness. But it's so fragile, isn't it? It's so fragile. It breaks so easily. Someone can, can take the happiness from you in a second. Right? Whether it's a text, an email, a phone call, a voice message, uh, or you're just driving and you got road rage in a, in, in a second, right? It can be taken... Uh, I, I was, man, I was just thinking about, about this. Uh, so we got a puppy and um, I know. Anyway, so we get this puppy and, <laughs> and I'm outside with this puppy. And I mean, it's a puppy. Puppies are just, this make you happy, right? You see it. It's like when someone says, look at my baby. It's like, you know, and, and so this puppy's outside and, and, I'm, and, and this puppy's already learning fetch and I'm sitting there and, and I'm just like, this is happiness. Right? Like, I mean, look at how cute that thing is. I'm out here. It's like, it's like, I'm, this is like therapy. God, thank you for this little animal. Right? And, 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 and we're just playing fetch. And all of a sudden, uh, he puts down the ball and then he starts chewing on something he shouldn't. So I'm like, come here, buddy. Come here. And, and then it just like, just looks at me like, and, and he's on the other side of the yard and he's not coming. So now I'm like, you know, being lovingly stern, right? Oh, come on. Like, you know, like, come on, let's go. You know, and then I try to manipulate him, you know, as a good, you know, and all these things to get him. That's not good. But I try everything to get this dog back. So now, now I'm, now I'm upset at this puppy. He should know better. And so now I am, get over here. Come right? I'm commanding him to come. Now, here's the problem as well with this is he's got a name. I didn't name him, but it's a name that when you project it, people are thinking certain things, right? I mean, I didn't name him. His name is Mr. Dinkles, okay? And, and so, <laughs> so now, and all my neighbors go to our church, right? So now the neighbors are hearing their pastor yelling, Dinkles, Dinkles, get over here. And so I'm yelling this, and, and he doesn't come. So I, I have to walk across the wet grass because that's all it does right now. Right? And I, I go and I, and I pick up this puppy. And I'm walking him back. And I'm like, wait, you listen to me. You know? And I bring him back into the house. And, and I'm like, hey, what are you preaching on this week? Joy. Huh? And, and I was just reminded how I was so happy moments before he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And, and, and you guys, so often we will cheapen biblical joy and attach and attach it to moments of happiness, right? My kid just did that. Oh, uh, this just happened in my life. Oh, this is great. Oh, I got this promotion. I got this raise. Oh, this worked out. Like, and, and it's like, that's joy. And you guys, that is just cheapening biblical joy. That is not the joy that Jesus won on your behalf on the cross because the joy that was won on your behalf, the joy that the Savior of the world desires you to have is not fragile. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on a dog coming back to you, right? In fact, John 15, 11, Jesus says to his followers, these things I've spoken to you that my, my joy, oh, that's a statement. Jesus is saying that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that incredible? 
Guys, it's not this like prosperity gospel thing, right? Like, like no, he's, he's promising that. He's declaring them uh, this. But you guys, just like peace, joy is also attached to the presence of God in your life. In fact, David says in Psalm 16 11, he says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so that's what makes it so different than happiness. Happiness can be taken. Happiness is circumstantial. Biblical joy is all about my relationship with God. And you guys, the incarnation ushered in this new kind of joy. And that's why when the Bible describes joy, it's absolutely impossible to link it with happiness. I mean, look at some of these verses. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, says this, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys, that, that, that is not my definition of joy. There's something different there. That is not how I define happiness or, or success. And yet there is something different in the Bible when it talks about the joy that, that, that he brings into our lives, the joy that he calls us to. Because he says, listen, it's for the joy that was before Jesus that he went to the cross. There's something bigger at play. There's a deeper, there's a fuller meaning here. There's an everlasting meaning that Jesus knew would be accomplished by him going to the cross. And he says, because I can see it from that lens, this is joyful. The disciples uh, in Acts chapter five, uh, they're sharing the gospel. Then they are rebuked and then they're actually beaten for sharing their faith. And yet in verse 41, it says they left rejoicing. And then in James chapter one, verse two, it says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hold up. Count it all joy? When I, when I suffer? You guys, joy in the midst of trials, and I'll tell you what, some of you are facing trials that, I can't even, I can't even comprehend. And so I don't want to cheapen that. Some of you guys in this room, some of you watching online are dealing with things that, and suffering in ways that are just uh, so difficult. And I know that you don't, oh, this is happy. You guys, joy in trials. This is what scripture is trying to over and over again say to us. Joy in trials can only be found in what Jesus did. That's the only place you can find it. And not only what he did, but what he continues to do through the spirit of God in your life. It's a joy that transcends our circumstances because it is a joy that only he can deliver through the spirit of God. And so uh, your hope 
and your joy, they are directly connected because when your hope is resting in the finished work of Jesus, you have lasting joy. Because you understand that when it says he brought, he's the prince of peace and, and it's going to be that way forevermore, you're going to understand and know that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of things not going my way, in the midst of family dynamics and issues that I wish weren't there, I can still have lasting joy because I have experienced everlasting forgiveness to receive everlasting life through Jesus. And so, and so that's why there is absolutely no thing or no one that should be able to hijack that peace and that joy in my life. And you guys, here's what's so concerning. Uh, what a greater opportunity to highlight peace and joy than in our culture right now. Because if there's one thing consistent with the people that I meet, that I talk to, it's this is very absent in culture. And I go, what a moment in time for people that say they believe in Jesus to demonstrate that there is a different way, that there is a different peace, that there is a different joy, right? Instead, what I see is us being the biggest complainers. Now you're like, well, how, how could I have joy? How could I have peace? Look at culture. Look what's going on. Look at all the war. Look at all the situations. Look at all the hate. Look at, uh, look at how the, the politics, all these things. Like how in the world can you say I should have peace and joy? Well, I guess it just depends what I'm going to choose to place my peace and joy in. Because my peace and joy is called to be rooted in what has already been accomplished. See, if, if, if I'm a Jesus follower and peace and joy seem to be distant from my life, there's one of two things that have happened. The first is I've misplaced my hope. My hope is in something that is temporary. My hope is in something outside of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And if it's in anything else outside of that, I don't care how good it is, you're going to find yourself lacking peace and joy. Some of the most successful people in our world who don't have a relationship with God, and you're like, man, you've arrived, you're so successful, all this. When you hear interviews, when you hear them talk, it's very clear they do not have true peace. They do not have true joy. And so it's either that, I've got misplaced hope, or secondly, and this is the one that's really unpopular, this is the one we don't really want to hear, we don't really want to talk about, but it's a reality that I think is uh, that has become normal and, and it's become normal for churches to just not address it and to try to pretend and to make everybody feel good. And so we'll give sermons about the joy and the peace. Uh, Jesus wants to give you that to the full. It's the very peace he had. And so I, we want to tell people that, but we want to also uh, ignore or, or not address the very thing that is hijacking it from Jesus' followers. See, the other thing that is happening, if you don't have peace and joy in your life, and yet you claim to be a Jesus follower, if it's not misplaced hope, you know what it is? It's undealt with sin. That's what it is. I am absolutely amazed at how we think 
we can avoid dealing with sin and yet still have the benefits, all of the benefits of a relationship with God. I mean, I remember the very start of my relationship with God, uh, it was centered around repent. Now, what does repent mean? Repent means to turn from. I was very aware that I needed to turn from that way of thinking, that way of living, the relationships. There were so many things that encompassed that before Jesus. And so I knew that I needed a savior. And so I had to repent, which is to turn from those very things in order to receive salvation. I, but I'm amazed at how today in our culture, we don't talk about this so that we have a whole bunch of people who are claiming to be Christians who have no hope. They have no, well, they have no peace. They have no joy. And, and, and the reason they don't have it is because they're continually sinning and, and sin is opposition to God. So they're continuing knowingly making decisions in opposition to who God is and what God wants for them, and yet they still think that they should have the peace and the joy. And so they hear sermons like this, and they go, oh, you did a great talk on peace and joy. Why don't I experience that? And I'll look at you, and I'll go, well, why don't you? Like, you know, because at the end of the day, Jesus says, this is what I came to deliver. This is what I promise you. And, and, and you guys, I'm telling you, it's just like me coming up here and, and, and telling my wife, I love you. Uh, I love you so much. And yet I keep doing things uh, intentionally, knowingly that hurt her. But I keep saying, oh, I love you. You're a priority. Oh my goodness, you're so great. I'm so glad that we're married. Ah, but I keep saying this. I keep doing this. That I know hurts her. You guys, you would not look at me and go, hey, you have a great marriage. You would say, Steve, there is something wrong in your marriage that you need to address. You say, you're not on the same page. You, you, you need to stop saying you love her because you keep doing things to hurt her, guys. Why do we hold uh, accountability there and these other relationships? But when it comes to our relationship with God, it's like, hey, whatever. And we think that we're going to still have peace and joy. You guys, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, and I pray that you all have. And if you haven't, I pray that you will. If you've made that decision, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, if you are actively uh, in opposition through what you're saying and doing to the will of God in your life, you guys, the Holy Spirit is continually telling you you're not okay. Like over and over and over again. Like the Holy Spirit's like, you're not at peace. You're not at peace. You do not have joy. You're not at peace. Okay. Uh, and, and if I said, hey, raise your hand if you've ever experienced that, a lot of you would raise your hand because you know that. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is at work because of the love of the Father to help guard you from doing things that makes you an adversary of the one you say you love. And so I just find over and over again, it's so interesting to me how we're like, God, I want this peace. I want this joy. Why don't I have it? And, and yet we're unwilling to deal with the reality that we're living against him. And yet he's supposed to give you that? Guys, my encouragement, if you find yourself in that place where you just have an adversarial heart towards your Savior, 
my encouragement is to look at David's words in Psalm 51. You guys, in Psalm 51, David has just committed two pretty, pretty horrible things. He's committed adultery and he's murdered. And he's broken before the Lord. He's broken. God sends a prophet to come and to reveal that God sees. God knows what's happened. You're the problem. David, broken before the Lord, says these words in Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And I just find that so often um, we're unwilling to just humble ourselves and acknowledge what's not of God in our lives. And you guys, just as God responded to David in incredible grace and he met him in that brokenness. He wants to meet you in that brokenness. He wants to meet you at that place where you've fallen or, or you're actively failing right now. And, 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 and he, wants to, he wants to get you out of that. Like uh, He wants to establish a peace and a joy. And, and, and you guys, right now, you are getting in the way of it. And he's like, can you just repent? Can you just come to me and just empty yourself out and, and say, God, I've been the problem. And, and, and God, I even know better. And yet, God, I, I come to you and, and, I, and I just lay myself at the foot of the cross and I look up and I acknowledge that it's in that moment that you brought peace between me, uh, a sinful human being, and a perfect and holy God. And I don't deserve that peace. I don't deserve the joy that comes as a result of that. But God, I, just, I surrender. I surrender. And you guys, he'll meet you there. He will meet you there. He'll build you back up. Like, like that's how gracious God is. God responds. And so I want to just challenge us, church. I want to challenge us during this time uh, because I really feel uh, the importance of, of these things and how I, I just see they're so absent uh, in our lives and in our culture. And I want to just bring us back to the reality that this, you will only have the peace and the joy that God promises if you make a decision to not only receive him, but to get right with him.